Alrighty, guys. Thanks for listening. I'm your co-host, Sean Lockery. And I'm Nefer. And this is Robust Discuss. This is a podcast where we aim to talk about various topics concerning our morality, our government, and our lives. Our topics are going to range from U.S. politics. We'll throw in some philosophical questions. We'll even do some debates about current events. And maybe we'll throw in some miscellaneous topics about some movies here and there. To kick off today, we're going to be talking about COVID and its effect on businesses and the economy. Both small and large corporations. So Nate has some some pretty interesting interesting topics. If you want to take it away, my man. All right. So basically, what we want to talk about today is um, the effect that COVID has had on businesses, small and large. You know, there's been a lot of companies that you've been hearing about that have they've somehow made it through COVID, and then there's businesses that you hear about all the time, like smaller businesses. They just shut down off bat. So basically, we pulled up some information off this um, site we used today was the Wall Street Journal to get some of this information out. They had a very interesting point in here. Applications for employer identification numbers that entrepreneurs need to start a business has passed 3.2 million so far this year. Compared to last year, they only had 2.7 million. And that was according to the U.S. Census. So in the pandemic... We've been seeing a lot of businesses let people go, unemployment rates have gone up, but as an effect of that, you hear about people opening their own businesses, starting their own little companies. Basically, in this case, it's it's very relevant in this case that, I mean, over almost 1 million more have started this year than last year. So basically, it's it's causing a surge of businesses to start. One of the interesting things that we I noticed in this was that they also brought up the point that within five years, that's usually when you can tell if a business is going to last or not. And so Sean, based off that five-year like prediction that you see where businesses last or they don't, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that because of COVID, a lot of these businesses are going to last? Or do you think that most of them are going to shut down within the five-year mark? I mean, obviously some of these are going to shut down. That's just That's just how it works, but... Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I would say that, I would say that honestly, probably if I had to make a prediction, I would say the majority of them are going to shut down. As you would see, you know, continue reading off of that same same Wall Street Journal article we're talking about here, the the small business revenue was actually down 21% as of mid-September versus the January levels. So that was according to a data and technology company, Wompley. But anyway, the, the idea there is that, yeah, there's more companies, but are they making... You know, are they actually making more money? And then talking from a different article in the New York Times real quick, there's a lady by the name, I believe it's Natalie Molina Nino, if I'm saying that correctly. Anyway, the entrepreneurs are delusionally optimistic by design, she says, which even why amidst some days look like a mess of, of a burial ground for small businesses across the country. The storefronts are shuttered from coast to coast. Their entrepreneur is still starting and in some cases growing their business, end quote. The idea behind that is that these guys and these people are going to take these opportunities once they present themselves. And COVID has obviously presented itself to have a more of a booming class of small business and people starting up businesses out of their homes because of the lockdowns and the, the various layoffs that have happened. I would then argue that they are going to fail and they will fail because of how our government has handled the coronavirus relief packages. And that puts them in a situation where not only were they first laid off, but then struggled to make ends meet with their future paychecks and future opportunities with any any entrepreneurs 
op entrepreneuristic opportunities they were taking would be hindered because of a lack of resources. Okay. I kind of see what you're saying there. And you're saying, like, basically, it's just a Band-Aid fix for this situation. And I can kind of agree with that. I, yeah. There's... Like you see, there's tons of like small, smaller businesses that are just kind of like opportunist. Like, for example, the people that they made protective masks because it's COVID. That's like a situational business because. Exactly. In two years from now, I mean, masks are kind of going to be irrelevant. I mean, not to say they won't be irrelevant, but not everybody's going to be walking around with a mask on like the general mass like they are now. So those kind of businesses, I can see them failing within like a two to three year mark after this whole thing kind of is completely died down. Yeah, exactly. But that's not to say that those businesses won't evolve with the times though, because they may have started those new smaller businesses and they may have the hopes to elevate their business. Uh, that is a valid fact. It's just, it's, start, it's, like, it's a startup basically. If you think about it from that perspective. Yeah, like if you're, if you're able to start gaining a little bit of revenue off your mask sales that was able you to get a better sewing machine down the line, which was able to actually enable you to create, you know, shirts or scarves or this or that or more complicated cotton materials because you now have better materials through the income you made from selling so many masks. Maybe you are able to continue that business forward and turn it into something throughout that, that five-year period. However, I would argue that that is definitely the extreme minority and the vast amount of businesses that have started not many of them will get that lucky and be able to adapt those who do fantastic they're able to continue on and make money throughout the pandemic however i don't i don't i wouldn't say that that's even close to half the business like a lot of them are not going to be that proactive simply because an overflux of market too and there's so many businesses coming up you know not ever not everyone's going to be able to succeed some of them are going to get lucky through social media you know extra posts likes shares this or that that blows up their impact through advertisements essentially that also kind of brings up another point i don't mean to interrupt you right there i'm sorry but so with it being a surplus of businesses like comparative to like Back in 2006, it was like 1.2 million new businesses now compared to like 1.1 million new businesses in 2020. Uh, that does kind of shift the market though. Because like now we were used to there being a scarcity of supplies. Now there's a surplus of suppliers for those specific things. So that shifts the market for like cheaper prices. You have a lot more options now. I mean... You, you see what I'm saying, right? There's a lot more options now. No, yeah, there is. It, it definitely opens that up. I think um, also, too, what we need to talk about when talking about those, those businesses is what our government was able to provide for them. So if we want to talk about the, the, first corona, the first coronavirus, it was approved at a $4 trillion assortment of grants, loans, and tax breaks, and it exceeded the cost of the entire Afghanistan war. The U.S., the, basically... Now, showing up quick divides of that, more than half or 2.3 trillion specifically would go to businesses, which in many cases were not actually inquire, required to show whether they were impacted by the pandemic or if they used that money to keep workers employed. This included specifically $651 billion in tax breaks that often went to companies that laid off workers. Specific example of the Cheesecake Factory that furloughed roughly around 41,000 people, but will claim a tax break worth of roughly $50 million. So my first question comes up, it's like, where's that money going? You're laying off people and you're making money? That's something's 
disconnect in there. Going into two, like the uh, 454 billion went to Federal Reserve to help stabilize markets and stuff, and enabled many companies, including Wells Fargo, AT and T, and Carnival, to borrow at at later lower rates while laying off employees. And I'll go into that when we talk about what's coming up next, which is called the Paycheck Protection Program, known as the PPP. There was 670 billion initially accounted for that, and it remains unfinished. Companies have not have not fully all received it, but it's it's. We'll get into why here in a second. And that's the issue is that that is touted as a great thing. A paytech protection program. You know, on the face is the point here is that on the face, it sounds fantastic. You know, you're going to provide X amount of money to companies and small businesses to ensure they are able to then pay those, pay their employees with the the paycheck, right? Actually secure their paychecks. The issue comes in the actual writing of the program, which is what I want to go into and kind of get your opinions on here. So it it earned broad praise, like I said, because it would turn, it offered small businesses federally backed loans. These loans would then transform into grants, which obviously is those, as people know what the difference, grants you won't have to pay back or as a loan you will. So long as you were able to verify that the majority of the funds were used to keep workers on payroll, they wouldn't, they would transform into a grant. Okay. John Arson Meyer, he was the CEO of Small Businesses Majority. It's an advocacy group that represents roughly 65,000 independent companies. He states that this agreement is structurally flawed. And after reading this, I kind of agree with him. And here's why. They made it so that banks had to act as intermediaries between the money from the federal government and the small businesses that received it. This creates a dynamic wherein that larger and more established companies were often able to obtain the loans quicker due to already established relationships and lines of credit with these big banks. They were able to get them quicker and initially rather than than the small businesses. Another flaw was that they defined small businesses as entities with with up to 500 employees but it included a provision pertaining to the food and hospitality sectors, wherein camp companies with individuals with locations fewer than 500 people were still eligible. This meant that large multi-million dollar chains like Ruth Chris Steakhouse and Shake Shack were able to apply. Now, granted, they did both return their loans after a wave of public criticism, but the fact that they were able to initially apply for that, that they were even eligible as multi-million dollar chains, is the issue in the in the writing here i mean something that i i, I kind of just thought about there was in that process of them getting the the grant and then they had to return it that still took away money from i would say like hundreds of bit not 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 to exaggerate but a bunch of businesses that could have potentially stayed open if they were given those grants exactly it, so they kind of by them giving it to them they kind of shot like good percentage of small businesses that probably could have made a killing in the, in Corona, like in COVID, but because they weren't given the opportunity, it's, they just died out. It, so it's a lack of opportunity in that sense. Yep. And that's that, that was the issues because also when the PPP first launched on April 3rd, the initial $350 billion fund was depleted within the first two weeks. So there are a lot of people who weren't able to get that. Like exactly like you're saying, that is a valid fact. There are a lot of companies that were not able to get what they needed because it just was not there. So, yeah, that's crazy. 
So, and also on to that, like another example we could talk about is with the data caps that broadband internet companies dealt with throughout the coronavirus pandemic. You know, all these people with these businesses working from home using the internet, you know, that's obviously going to take a toll, correct? Yeah, so, you, I remember you told me about this briefly. I don't remember everything. Exactly. But. And like, what basically is like in less than a week, the top unit U.S. internet service providers that were imposing da- data caps waived those limits to accommodate the millions of Americans now working and learning from home to obviously slow the spread of the coronavirus. What's interesting is that despite the whack uh, federal commission's commission chairman, the FCC chairman Ajit Pai, telling internet providers to keep Americans connected, but doing nothing to call for lifting the data caps, these companies still did. Comcast, CenturyLink, and AT&T specifically setting aside their terabyte limits. The question I pose then is, why were those limits there in the first place? If the company is able to take away those limits while simultaneously having a surge of users due to the working from home environment, why then when not nearly enough people were working from home and using their services, were these limits necessary? Are you asking if you you think it's a money move in this sense? Yeah, to an extent. That's how I look at it. It makes me question whether or not that was ever done. Obviously, I mean, I don't know the in- intricates of their businesses. I don't know exactly what these limits is, limits are ensuring. I'm not, you know, a, an internet master or something. I don't know all this information. It just definitely looks fishy that the limits were almost instantaneously taken away when people needed it. The, like when they needed it and couldn't pay for it. But when they don't necessarily need it and have the ability to pay for it, it looks like the corporations are taking advantage of that by charging them for something they could be giving them for a lesser or f- free price yeah for a lesser yeah for a lesser price I, I see your point and i think there's a lot working in that i don't think necessarily that it was a hundred percent available to them like on a mass a mass level i can see that it definitely was a capability that they had i would say it's somewhat has to do with it kind of seems like that would be a little bit of government funding there like with the bigger corporations i mean obviously they received a good amount of money yeah i mean yeah but but I can't say that it's just like just off that I would because I've seen like in my job, I know that there were a bunch of like phone com- like a bunch of phone companies in the area that were out for days due to upgrades. Yeah. So I don't think it was available on the mass level, but it definitely has a capability that was available. So I can't really base it up to just one thing off that. Yeah, it, there's definitely a mix of it in that for sure. You You can almost say that it kind of. I could say it kind of pushed a little bit of technological advancement with this whole thing, but that's getting off a little bit of topic, but it still, it relates. It still relates. Interestingly enough, though, based off that, that kind of leads me to a little bit of, all this kind of leads me to a little bit of thought that, no, there's a lot of people out there that are saying like coronavirus is just a huge stunt to make money for big corporations. I don't know if you've heard that or not. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of coincidences out there. I do. You can't you can't say there's not a lot of coincidences, and I would say that you know that's a that's a I would describe it as a fun and interesting conspiracy to twirl around. But it, I mean, it's obviously a disease. It's obviously people dying from it. It's obviously not 
I don't, I don't know. It's not. I, I mean, it didn't even start here. It, it, it spread across the, across Europe in different places just as effectively. There's no like the amount of world communication that would be necessary for that is impossible, in my opinion. I don't think it could be impossible. I mean, most companies. I, I do. I don't think all these countries would ever agree and do the same thing across the world. Like, and uh, all these companies are against each other. A lot of the companies don't like. The whole idea with Tesla, Tesla and stuff like they're making money that that doesn't help the That's companies true. in That's China true. and stuff. It, they they go back and forth, so there's no way that they would just massively agree that we're gonna do this and hope we all come out on the other side, you know? And then, and then yeah, I'm not agreeing with it, saying that that that, that conspiracy is like 100 percent valid. I'm just saying that there's a lot pointing to that. That it's a it's almost a valid assumption, almost. But I mean, yeah, I mean. I mean, honestly, with conspiracies and, and coincidences like that, you can draw connections to some really crazy stuff and call it call it valid. It's it's interesting as long as you as long as you like look at as long as you focus your view in that in that direction. You know what I'm saying? Like if you focus your view on the fact that this was a ploy, yeah, you can start connecting so many things to it. But that uh, to me, that's like a, a blinded way of connecting things. But I mean, also, I mean, like you said, we we're not agreeing here, guys. We're just we're saying that like that's interesting that people are connecting all these things and you know bringing up this conspiracy it's just kind of crazy um well guys that was a that was a really interesting episode we'll definitely be talking about this more we had we kind of wanted to keep this section a little bit focused on businesses specifically some of our future topics we're looking to talk about we want to talk about specifically a couple we talked about before this was validity in modern movies so like kind of impossible like plots or just movie scenes in general just to have a little fun on some on one of our topics just to but we want to relate that to real world stances because something that i've always been taught was everything has validity to it regardless of the like the spin on it and then another one we talk we want to talk about is tax evasions with uh bigger ceos of companies how they kind of like offshore accounts and stuff like that how they have offshore accounts to like keep their money from being taxed and then we also have global warming. That one we'll expand on a little bit more eventually. And these are just kind of some of the topics we kind of thought about beforehand. But uh, that wraps up our... Oh, okay. But, but also, we'll try to connect a lot of those to, to COVID and keep it keep it talking about, you know, the, the effects that, that COVID has had on the environment and the different places that have changed due to the, the lack of human interaction. And so we'll, we'll, we can dive into that in the movie one's going to be really interesting. I have a few ideas about some things that have happened where they've pulled out certain circumstances and made a lot of money in certain ways that might actually be plausible and might actually be being done, which is the scary thought. But going into that, um, Nate, did you have anything else we wanted to offer real quick? No, I think that wraps up our, uh, I think that wraps up us for today. Alrighty. Well, guys, we, uh, we appreciate you all listening for, to us today and we hope to see you all again next week. Talk to you later. Peace out, folks.